0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Downstage Podcast. I am Alejandra Enciso Dardashti.
1: And I'm David Cotton.
0: Hey, David, how are you?
1: I'm good. And you?
0: Good. And I am happy to have this guest that we've been wanting to have for a Ooh. while. Would you make us the honors?
1: <laughs> I sure will. Uh, this is Pam Cragen of the San Diego Union Tribune. She is the arts editor of the Union Tribune, and also a longtime theater critic for the newspaper. I personally have known Pam many years before she was even part of the Union Tribune. She's been an editor and a friend, and we're having her here today because uh, probably nobody working and writing about theater in San Diego has done as much and knows as much as Pam does. So Pam, thanks for joining us today.
2: Thanks for having me. <laughs> Yay.
1: I should also point out, excuse me, Alejandra, that uh, Pam, it was the longtime president of the San Diego Theater Critics Circle. She only recently stepped aside while she's still a member of the group. Uh, and Pam, thank you for your many years of leadership with the group.
0: Oh, you're welcome. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah. And you know, so graceful, so nice, like greeting us new members and uh, making us feel welcome and just a super great person. I, I like Pam, so <laughs> thank you.
1: <laughs> so Pam, I'm wondering, because you have been writing about theater for so long in San Diego, what changes have you seen in our aside from the financial things that we've talked about theaters mm-hmm. coming and going what else have you noticed about the evolution of theater in San Diego County
2: Well I started reviewing back in around 1997 or 98 I believe for the North County Times and back then um theater was I think much more the center of the cultural dialogue than it is now I think um, that's partly due to the fact that there was a lot of theater critics in town and a lot of publications who were covering theater and theater was just like the San Diego Opera were sort of integral to the dialogue you know in the community of what constitutes a healthy- c- culture in san diego and I feel that there's so many distractions now days you know there's so much on the internet and and social media and streaming television and, and cable networks and all that, um, and a dissemination of how news is consumed. That um, I, theater is an entertainment in San Diego. And I think I was talking to Barry Edelstein with The Old Globe recently, and he said they are, they have a mission right now to try and put theater out into the community and, and make people realize that it's more than just what you see on stage. It's what's beyond the stage The theater companies are doing to develop um, to allow people to express their voices in different um, ethnic communities, in prisons, in senior centers, in um, schools. And and that's the one thing that I think people don't realize anymore. Theater isn't quite as prominent. Even though we have a massive theater community, I don't think the public
0: really realizes how valuable it is. Agreed. Not at all. And uh, the people also do not know, Pam, that you are a food, fruit- critic as well right
2: <laughs> yeah yeah well i am a 40 year newspaper journalist and when you're a journalist you do just about everything as david knows as a as a retired journalist um i started out as business writer then i became a news writer and a news editor and uh copy editor business editor and then around when was it 19 like 2000 or so i became an arts editor And I was at the time I was already covering theater and I started covering restaurants as well. You know, I have always said theater directors are just like chefs, you know, Uh, they're very similar. They're very passionate about what they do. They take in all sort of external influences to create their piece of art. And um, they have an audience, you know, and, um, you know, to me, it's like they have the same sort of of sort of viewpoint about creating something that's going to be consumed. So they go hand in hand to me,
1: dining and theater. Pam, since you were at the helm of the theater critic circle, as long as you were, you can tell me how many years, I'm not completely sure, but why is it important that we have this organization?
2: Well, I, I joined, you know, in when we recreated this theater critic circle in 2002, Anne Marie Welsh, the former Union Tribune theater critic, and I created it. But it actually existed back in 1983. And why I think it was—it's important to have an organization like this—is Welton Jones, who was a longtime San Diego theater critic back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. Um, he was an officer with the American Theater Critics Association, and he got the organization to bring their bring their annual convention to San Diego in 1983 and all these critics from all over the country had like a whole schedule of plays that they got to go see and it's the first time it put theater on the map nationally as a result in 1984 the old globe earned a regional tony award and in 1990 something the lauria playhouse got a regional tony award those wouldn't have happened i don't believe if Welton and the theater critics had promoted the importance and size and quality of our theater community. So I think theater critics, you know, they, like I said, they put it, they put theater on the map for people that might not be aware of it. Hopefully they, they bring people in who may not have been theater fans before, and they contextualize what they see on stage.
0: What, what interesting facts and um I'm glad you bring it up sometimes because <clears throat> we joke around um David says no we're kicking or you know beating the same barrel and I'm like no David this is important <laughs> we need to continue to discuss right that, that sometimes we are now i I feel currently this, image of a, kind of like a trollish <laughs> mean person that's just looking at what to poke and it's not like that at all right uh, we're, we're looking to bring what's happening on stage to other people but it's obviously through our experience because we're just human <laughs> right
2: Well I think people assume critic means being crit- being criticizing you know and I think it's more about being critical in terms of analyzing what we're seeing and, and trying, like I said, to contextualize it for the public. Um, I honestly believe because I read a lot of reviews in other cities that our critics are actually very supportive of theater in San Diego. You know, like um, when I review a play, if, if, if there's like 12 people in the play and some of them are just not very good, I'm not going to single them out and say this person was bad because, I know how devastating that can be to have that in print or online for an artist. So a lot of these people are paid very little or nothing. So um, I just try to highlight the good performances and I try to talk about the flaws in the play. That's kind of my favorite way of, of reviewing. I love reviewing new plays and new works and kind of figuring out what's working, and what's not working rather than reviewing a play I've seen 10 times. So to me, that's, one thing that i try to do is i try to find where the play excels where it needs work how some performances really illuminate the play and what i would love to do it's probably just the journalism in me the historian in me is um that i like to kind of figure out why is this theater doing this play at this time and what is the director's vision and how does it relate to what's happening in the world today um and if i can kind of throw that into a review, maybe it makes a little more sense why why theaters are choosing some of the plays they're choosing.
1: So Pam, how much time do you spend, I don't think I've ever asked you this, um, how much time do you spend thinking about the review that you're going to write before you actually start the writing? Probably like
2: you two.
1: When I'm sitting in the theater watching
2: it, I hear lines that I write down. I see things that I think, oh my gosh, I have to remember that this is something that shimmers, you know, and I have to use that word in my review. Um, I usually start working on my review before I, before I go like you guys, I do my research, um, I find out what the director, if they're a new director in town, what, what they've done in the past and what their sort of style is and what their passions are. I look at their social media to see what issues they're interested in and um, how they inform what they're doing. Um, so, yeah, I, it starts before, during and after. And then I, because I work for a newspaper and we try to turn things quickly, I try to write my review the next morning and get it out the next day. Sometimes if it's a weekend and there's three shows I'm reviewing, you know, I might not get to them. Or if I actually have a personal life of some sort on the weekend, they don't get out right away. But I don't have much of a personal life beyond theater, so uh, <laughs> they get done pretty quickly.
0: Pam, when, um, which we've also discussed uh, in the different episodes of the show, obviously people start, learning our style of writing and reviewing and delivering. And sometimes people are vocal <laughs> about a particular style. Um, and I, as you both know, I am like, whatever, rah, 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 you know, and I, it's hard for me because I love it so much. Also, for, you know, the journalist reporter in me is always very personal with the situation is something that I have to learn, right? How do you deal with when, when criticism comes your way regarding one of your pieces?
2: You know, people will email me. I used to get a lot of the, um, did you see the same play that I saw? Because, you know, I loved it and you didn't <laughs> love it. That kind of thing, thing. That's a favorite. And, <laughs> um, but, but I will always email people back and and I will just say, okay, well, here's what I was thinking. And they are so, for the most part, grateful to have a dialogue with someone. You know, they probably feel like they're shouting out into the void. And if I respond back and I offer some context, you know, they they tend to be kind of happy, you know, and they'll write again and they'll say, "Oh, I did see this play and I agreed with your review." So I have like probably dozens of people who are who email me, you know, who who dislike my review or like my review but like to talk about it. So I I would say some critics, I think do have a very distinct voice in their writing, like you. Um, and I, I uh, and some people are very, like Anne-Marie Welsh, she had a very intellectual way of, she wrote books on theater. She had a very intellectual way of approaching her reviews. Cassiopeia writes in a very theater insider sort of historical way. You know, like she knows the ins and outs of everything and she spots things I would never spot. I always felt like I don't have a theater degree I think I did two plays in high school before I got stage fright and stopped. So I am not a theater historian or expert. I am an everyman critic. I feel like although I have a lot of knowledge from what I've seen, I don't have any special training in the field. So I always feel like my my reviews are um, I'm Joe Q Public going in there and seeing a play with just a little more information than the rest of them. So I have found that a lot of people who read my reviews. Tend to generally have the same views I do. Other than sometimes they'll say you weren't hard enough, like on the Billie Jean King play that everyone hated. You know, I got a lot of, you should have, you know, you should have given that a worse review than you did. And I thought I gave it a pretty negative review. I found some good
1: parts, but not enough, apparently, (laughs) according to readers of the UT. And I hope you'll uh, stick around for the second segment because we're going to talk about shows that, you know, are nurtured even born in san diego that end up going to new york and what that takes and how that plays out so um, hope you'll stick around for our second segment we're going to take a break we'll be right back
0: and for the first trivia question of this episode which russian theater director developed a unique rehearsal technique called subtext in the early 20th century answer later in the show but David, did you know that this commercial break is available for sponsorship? I did not know that. Well, there you go. So if any of our listeners would like to feature their company and or products, they can send us an email at info at sdcriticcircle.org with the subject line advertising in Downstage. And we'll take it from there.
1: Well, as you may or may not know, uh, a musical that began here at the La Jolla Playhouse earlier this year, The Outsiders, which is a new stage musical adaptation of a, a novel and then later a film, uh, is. It was recently announced that it's Broadway bound. And we thought it would be interesting to talk about how often this happens out of our backyard, what it takes to have it happen, and maybe a little bit about the track record, because it's, it's always a crapshoot when shows go from any market to uh, the great white, great white way. Pam, you've seen this a lot and you've written about it a lot. mostly the Old Globe and the Playhouse have made these happen. What does it take besides the money (laughs) to make this transition from San Diego to New York City?
2: I think the producers who have the money have to believe that they're gonna get their money back. So they have to believe very solidly that this is going to find an audience in New York. Um, That can also uh, be achieved with stars. You know, for example, La Jolla Playhouse has uh, a play coming up with Matthew Broderick followed by a musical uh, with Adina Menzel. They would not be bringing these people to La Jolla and those artists would not be coming to San Diego if They didn't believe that had a future in New York city. So I think, and stars only attach themselves to a show that, that they want to take to Broadway as well. So I think there has to be a lot of uh, alignments of, of, you know, thought that it will be a success because it's costs what, 40, $50 million to produce a musical on Broadway. Maybe more.
0: (laughs) It's a world. Yeah. And it's just like, I don't want to say flushing it down the toilet, but it's 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 a lot of money that you lose while you engage in these types of of uh, business. Says <laughs> it's it's yeah, it's a risky one for sure.
1: And you know, Broadway audiences, as we all know, are so very different. Um, and I mean, there have been shows in recent years that I thought I can't see this on Broadway. Like Come From Away it was a massive hit on Broadway. And then shows that I really liked, like my buddy Cameron Crowe's Almost Famous was a flop on Broadway. Um, is there any way for these producers, Pam, aside from star power, which speaks for itself, is it story? Is it familiarity? What, what will resonate at least you know predictably for, if that's possible for producers who try to go to Broadway?
2: You know, I think if anyone had the secret recipe of the musicals wouldn't be closing before they make back their, you know, their investment. Um, It seems to me, and this is not an educated viewpoint, that they have to be connecting with something that people respond to in the moment. Come from a way, um, I think if it had come out many years earlier, people weren't ready for a nine one one play, but it came out when people were sick and tired of it hate on the social media and the hate from, you know, the the Trump, all that other kind of stuff, you know, it's like, it was, there was so much negativity and political division in the country. It was, it was a musical about people taking care of each other from all different ethnicities and countries and caring about each other. Sort of like how Ted Lasso knitted America together during the pandemic, people being kind to each other from different countries. Um, so I, I think it just has to be the right place at the right time. You know, it's, you know, I I can't, I can't tell you what else
0: is the magic sauce. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think specifically with Come From Away, it was, uh, this, this little show, right. And it gave you that at the Playhouse. And for all of us that saw it in, in its, you know, beginning stages, when it was going to Broadway, a lot of us thought, oh my God, they're going to like broadway it, right? This is such a nice little show. And it stayed that way. It kept that essence. And I think that's why it was such a huge hit. And then when it toured again, I feel like it was it was that, right? I mean, and people also don't know that a Jersey Boys came out of, uh my house, you know, a rent, whatever, and and it's still like you said, Pam, in the beginning with with the business model, it's something that still continues to give, right? Uh, with movies and everything, it continues to give o- over here locally, and people are trying to replicate that, right? People want a Jersey, but like producers, they want another Jersey Boys, they want another <laughs> rent in order to keep, you know. Uh, the money coming right and in, in other other uh formats with with the same play I do have
2: one thought i oh, I'm sorry, I was just
0: gonna say I do have one thought, and
2: all of you have seen these world premiere shows come out of San Diego, and some have gone to Broadway that had no business of going um and they didn't make it um I actually didn't like uh Cameron crow's show because I thought it was kind of creepy this teenage boy being you know, sexually enlightened by these older women. That just creeped me out. <laughs> that creeped me out. And it was kind of a man's story. You know, the women were, except for the mom, all kind of, you know, floozies. And uh, to me, it just didn't connect with me as a woman. Just like Hunter S. Thompson musical, "The Hoya Playhouse, doesn't connect with me as a woman. It's a man's story, told by men. Um, uh, But what I was going to say was, I've been seeing these world premiere shows since like, the 90s here in san diego and you probably have felt this too when you're in the audience and something happens on stage and you see something spectacular happen and you think oh my god and that was like for me it was when no norbert leo butts was in dirty rotten scoundrels at the old globe and he did that great you know crazy song about the mentally you know he's faking that he was like a mentally disabled person and dancing all over the stage I thought, oh, my God, this is going to go to Broadway and he's going to win a Tony Award. And he did win a Tony Award. Not that I'm I was, you know, really all that bright. Anyone could see it. Same with Thoroughly Modern Millie. When uh, Sutton Foster came out of nowhere, the understudy and she started singing, oh, my gosh, you know, three songs in, you're just like, oh, my God, where did she come from? You know, she was like a star is born. And I remember Jersey Boys, you know, they didn't hold for any applause for the first like half hour, 40 minutes of that show. So you couldn't release your enthusiasm. And then finally they get to some super famous song. I don't remember what the horns come out or something like that. And then they let the audience finally clap and audience, you know, rose to their feet and roared. And I thought, this is, this, this has got that sauce, (laughs) whatever it is. So I do think that we have all seen those shows, you know? And I think The Outsiders is gonna do well, honestly, because- yeah, I just was just gonna,
1: before we wind, yeah, before we wind up this conversation, I mean, I like The Outsiders a lot. You know, I don't know how many people have read the novel or even remember the film that Francis Ford Coppola made in the 80s. What do you suspect its prospects on Broadway will be, Pam?
2: I, I think it will be a success. Um, I just think that the style, the dynamic style of the direction with the choreography, I think I did read the book before I saw the musical and I thought they really did a good job telling the story of this young boy writing the story and they opened it in a very genius way inside a movie theater because that's where the movie opens is in a movie theater. But the the, the theater, the, the Playhouse Theater was the movie theater, you know, it was just so clever. I thought it needed some work but I think it's I think it's really good. what, about, what do you guys think?
0: Well, for me, it, it, all these uh this is fascinating as always talking to you guys because it's fascinating conversations with with all these facts. Uh with outsiders, the fact that Angelina Jolie's children, you know, and that happens in San Diego constantly. All these people come down cuz they know it is an inner for the people that consume theater they know right so for the children because they're still young i mean teenagers to have had that impact and be like mom come support this financially (laughs) right and have that vision i think it was great and i think also the the subject matter with the youth and the bullying and and how it has these deathly consequences is is very sadly current and it resonates with society now and every, you know, with parents, with kids, with friends. Um, and it's made so artistically and, you know, it has this, I always say, this rhythm and it's in this melody, right? When it goes, like when you're listening to a song, you're like, "Oh God, I don't like that. That's noisy." Whatever. When you're watching a play, it has to have like this melody, this this rhythm that that goes and makes sense. And I think that that happens with outsiders. I do think it needs work too. There's some scenes that, you know, because it's long. <laughs> uh, but I also think it's gonna do great.
1: Yeah, I don't know how it's gonna do, but here's why I hope it's a hit. <laughs> You know, Broadway and this isn't just my opinion. I've talked to many people in theater about this. Broadway needs more musicals that have a story, a real story. And The Outsiders has a story. You know, it's from a novel and and I would love to see it be a big success on Broadway because maybe it'll encourage other producers to put those kinds of products, musical theater products on the great white way. So I'm I'm hoping it's a big success. Well, Pam, it's been a pleasure and enlightening to have you as a guest today. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Pam. Thanks.
0: <laughs>
1: we'll take another break and we'll be right back. Our second trivia question today is, this jukebox musical, which world premiered at La Jolla Playhouse, Went on to Broadway, where it won four Tonys, including Best Musical in the year 2006. The answer, at the end of the show. I guess this is my, uh, I don't want to say weekly, bi-weekly <laughs> discussion of behavior in the theaters. And we've got a perfect <laughs> example, don't we, Alejandra, with Representative yeah. Lauren Boebert in uh, Denver. For those of you who haven't followed the story, and if you haven't, you're in a bear cave. <laughs> <laughs> she was she was attending a performance of Beetlejuice the musical, which was recently here, uh, with a date, and uh, she was, you know, filming, you know, on her phone the production, which we know is not allowed, and she was singing loudly, which I know people do sometimes, but she was openly vaping in the theater with a pregnant woman in back of her. If you follow this story, she was doing more than that. We won't mention on the show. But Alejandra, you know, the, the, the three letters we see in texting, SMH, shaking my head, I I don't know how much more to say about this because it keeps getting worse and worse.
0: I think because people don't care in, because authority is not enforced and because they can. And that's a a sad issue that people cannot have a – social awareness and, you know, and and it, it's not about you being sitting on your couch in your living room. This is a shared experience. And when you say about the singing or the commenting, I mean, that happens, that's natural, that's human. Um, but this situation with the lights, with the phones, and everything else that she did, and I'm glad that there were cameras in there. And I'm glad that they escorted her out. And even then, you know, she posted on social media, like, oh, uh, I was, you know, too passionate or whatever. Let me know how it ended. Like also playing victims still. I think that this is a good um, call, I would say, for theaters to really enforce authority and train their ushers. I understand. It's hard sometimes because the ushers are, you know, of a certain age. And that's also um I would say not safe for them because people are crazy. <laughs> but I think that it's a a conversation that we should continue to have in order to protect actors, creatives, the people that are working and the audience while having this collective experience. Um the MTV uh Music Awards were just they just happened last week right. and you would see the close-ups when people were uh you know, um, singing or whatever. There were people with cell phones, not that many filming the performance, which would interrupt the broadcast, obviously, uh, or mess up the broadcast. But there were there. I don't know if you've seen them, uh, David, but there are these gray pouches where they put in your phone and has a lock and you can't open it. And they they're doing this for comedy shows because of You know what they discuss in the comedy shows and they don't want it leaked and things like that and i think that sadly that will have to be i understand this is infrastructure money uh you know people's time but that's something that we are bringing upon ourselves uh it's it's like you know being nice at the table, or with your grandparents, or <laughs> with your adult fellow adult people, <laughs> like it's 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 very basic. This is not about a cultural situation, a being welcome situation. This is about being rude. It's being rude, and it's being selfish, and it's something that has to be handled. I, I was so happy that they escorted her out. So happy that they were like, "We're gonna call the police," and she was like. We'll call them. Oh my God. I was so happy. And then she 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 classily is that a word? Classily? Gave the oh, interesting
1: Yeah. Um you know, no one's saying I know we talk about this a lot, but no one's saying you have to whisper like you're in the the stadium at Wimbledon. You know, we're not saying
0: that, <laughs> that Wimbledon reference will forever, forever you
1: should be able to go see Beetlejuice. We I mean, we just saw it. Yeah. So it is a show where you have a good time. I don't even really mind people singing. I know they get carried away. The mm-hmm. phones thing is wrong, of course. And anything beyond that, you, you have to think, you have to remember, everybody, that there are other people seeing this show. It's not just mm-hmm. you, as Alejandro yeah. said. And, and let's not forget the biggest thing of all, which theaters will remind you of uh, most of the time that. Out of respect and consideration and safety of the performers on stage, you behave yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And you, you show them that respect. They're working for you um, and they deserve your attention and your respect. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about this again. <laughs> so it's not the end of it, unfortunately. I We do want to talk briefly before we say goodbye today about Um, This uh, article, that was written by Emanuel Eisenberg. Um, I don't know how many of you saw it in the New York theater website about his own thoughts about uh, where theater is headed and what the problems are. And the headline was something like, we're chasing away audiences. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and among the points he made was that theater is pricing out so many people and that it's uh, not very accessible to younger audiences. Among other things, Alejandro, you read this. What were your thoughts about his comments?
0: Uh, I agree. I agree to a point. I think that, again, like I've been saying constantly, um, because, guys, behind the scenes, we do discuss <laughs> our points of view and how we feel before sharing it with you all. And um, we do worry about, being repetitive, but these things are so important and that's how you create change, right? Putting it, uh, bringing it across the table and continuing to discuss and and, kind of like dissect. Aside from the domino effect that has been happening because of the approach um, to theater, I think that there also needs to be, like Pam was saying in the previous segments, there needs to be this um, view behind the scenes to see how important it is. There is, and now after, cause I saw the the Hunter Thompson's musical uh, last night and I, my head exploded. And that's why I love when we have these conversations I'm now feeling that it's like a conspiracy theory, David. <laughs> like, I feel this, this this conspiracy. I have this conspiracy theory that they're trying to, like, abolish theater so we stop thinking, you know what I mean? Like, I just, I got all this in my head. Like it's, like, it's a plot in order for us to stay, like, more lethargic and not really, you know, analyze and think about things because theater brings this such, like, powerful perspective to, like, the world once you see a performance. So people are not, younger audiences are not grasping the value, the time, and I'm saying this in a general, obviously, sense, not, not everybody, but, um, and you have students too in your classes. I teach as well, and I just got, you know, we were talking about Le Mis that's coming to San Diego, and I just got a question that said, and people pay for that? <laughs> With, like, the face, like, all scrunched up. Boy. And I was like, yes, yes, miss. People pay for that. Like, you pay for Bad Bunny, right? And, like, we've discussed. Because they don't have, they don't see that value. And they don't see, and they see it as it's for older people or for older ladies, right? They put a gender on that, and and, and which is all a label. And it's like, give it a chance, you know? Parents are giving it a chance for Taylor Swift. And they loved it right? Taking their kids and they're becoming Swifties or whatever. It's the same here. But if going back to the article, if the producers in the theaters don't put that out there and just try to make it this money machine, uh, it's not, you know, everybody's looking for the next Hamilton or whatnot. And Hamilton also was a success because of what it was behind it, the story, the cast, the diversity, you know, and twisting it or turning it around because everything has been so white that they're like, we're not doing that. And that's what people wanted, you know? I don't know if I'm just rambling, but yeah. I love when you ramble. I love when you ramble because there's always
1: something, there's always meat on the bone when you ramble. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, I'll just say this, you know, as we wind up our show today, um, you know, Pam mentioned theater in other communities where it's not happening. And I did an interview the other day with the director, Che Yu, who directed Cambodian rock band, among other things. Uh, and we were talking about this issue and he said that, you know, one of the things that's come out of the pandemic is that a lot of um, underprivileged neighborhoods have empty spaces, warehouses, vacated office space, etc. And he said, wouldn't it be great if landlords would let small theater companies Go into some of these areas. Uh, It used to be this way in LA and New York. Uh, I don't know that it is that much anymore. So that theater would be accessible to people in neighborhoods where they wouldn't have to go to Balboa Park. I'm talking about San Diego here or to La Jolla uh, or even downtown to see theater. If it was available, you know, in the general community, exposed to more people uh, you know, wouldn't that be a wonderful development? I don't know. Maybe that's pie in the sky because you're asking, you know, landlords to give theater companies that don't have much money to start with, you know, a break on the rent, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, it's it would be nice to think about the possibility of that happening. I know it's great that the old Globe has their program that takes theater literally out into these communities and shares it with them. That's wonderful. It'd be nice if there was something consistent, um, whether it was financed by a big theater like The Globe or whether these smaller companies would have ways of doing it. We'll see what happens, obviously, but I I prefer to remain hopeful. I hope you do, too, Alejandra.
0: Yeah, me too. Just like the Globe did it because uh, Freedom Bradley Valentine brought all these initiatives when they started the arts engagement department. Other other smaller theater companies are starting. The Globe has a behind the curtain, which is they invite people to, to see it like stuff that's happening behind the curtain. And another theater company came out with a behind the curtain uh, made me I. I I giggled a little bit and I was like, as long as you're bringing the programs, <laughs> that's fine. I mean, naming them, naming them the same way. OK, but um, I think that would be an idea, David. I agree. But at the same time, you know how I am. I'm just like at the same time, I would analyze the process and the um how people are receiving it and how, and the follow up of that. Because again, I think it's a co-responsibility, but yeah, in order to be co-responsible, you have to put it out there and share it. Right. So.
1: some Someday the two of us will figure this out and then we'll go global because we figured this out.
0: <laughs> I told Cassiopeia the other day, we need to run the world.
1: <laughs> and a better way to end the show than that. Uh, it's been a, it's been fun. It's been interesting. We thank Pam Cragen of the Union Tribune, San Diego Union Tribune, again for joining us. Alejandra, always great to see you in person and here. I know. I'm sure we'll see each other at the theater. Our listeners and viewers, thank you for joining us once again on the Downstage Podcast. We'll see you next
0: time. See you at the theater, guys. See you next time. And the answer for which Russian theater director developed a unique rehearsal technique called subtext in the early 20th century, Konstantin Stanislavski. It involved encouraging actors to explore the underlying motivations and emotions of their characters. Even if those thoughts and feelings were not explicitly stated in the script.
1: Here's the answer to our second trivia question, which jukebox musical that premiered at La Playhouse and went on to Broadway where it won four Tonys. The answer is Jersey Boys which was directed on the Great White Way by Des McEnough who at the time was the Hoya Playhouse's artistic director. Downstage is a production of the San Diego Theater Critics Circle her co-hosts David Codden and Alejandra Enciso and Tardashti.